conflict will come. It's not about how do we avoid conflict, but instead, it's that when conflict presents itself, how do we lead and show up in a way that we hold everyone's humanity with honor and intact? And that at the end of this, people feel respected, that their dignity is intact, and that we have learned something so that this harm doesn't happen again. And we weave that into our structures, our policies, and our cultural codes of conduct. You're listening to A Recipe for Transformation with Krista Wilson, a podcast that helps build unique recipes to translate dignity and caring into equitable, inclusive, and anti-racist behaviors in the workplace, helping you transform them into ones that create an environment that fosters dignity, humanity, and respect for all your employees. Because leading transformations that stick require more than just knowing the words. It's about understanding why we are doing what we do and putting people first. Over the last five or so years, I've noticed a trend that I've written about and talked about, which is this. Organizations will hire me under the contract that is diversity, equity, and inclusion, something related to their workplace culture. And while that's the invitation to begin to do coaching and training inside the organization. What I immediately come to find out is that what is actually happening inside of teams, divisions, departments, is that what people are experiencing aren't just on-face identity-based harms. It's actually conflict. And that people in our organizations from the top all the way down to the bottom of the organizational chart, we just don't have the skills to navigate these interpersonal dynamics. And our organizations don't have the processes or the structures to help us navigate these complicated issues either. So we're all just dealing with all this conflict all of these negative interpersonal dynamics, all of this harm that is bubbled up, this horizontal violence, and we don't have the skills, the tools, or the structures to get us to a place of peace. And so here's what happens. The first problem that I see is it starts with maybe some small sparks or some flares, and then those turn to huge fires. And oftentimes, that's when I get called in, when there are these big, just huge flare-up fires that are at risk of burning down the whole organization. The second problem that I see is that our organizations are essentially microcosms for our society at large. And our society at large is generally conflict-averse. In our interpersonal relationships, whether that be in our home or on our teams, we avoid conflict. We don't want to get into it. We don't know how to get out of it. So we think the best thing to do is just avoid it, to pretend it's not there, even when we're neck deep in it. And so our strategy, most of the time, 
for conflict resolution and conflict navigation. It's just to hope it doesn't happen, even when we're in it and it's actively happening. And so in organizations that I get called to support, we wait until the conflict happens. And then we wait for someone to report, hey, I'm in a conflict. I've been harmed. I'm experiencing bullying or whatever the thing is that needs to get reported. And then an investigation takes place. And then that investigation essentially is trying to find out if the person who committed the harm or is an agitator in the conflict is essentially trying to find out the level of their guilt. Did they do the bad thing that they're being accused of? But that sometimes is hard to find. There's no litmus test for, say, guilt on a microaggression. And oftentimes, depending on the way that systems of oppression or identities that are socially advantaged show up in these conflicts, sometimes the harm is minimized and it just gets dusted under the carpet. Rarely, when I have come into organizations and have examined the way that past conflict or identity-based harms haven't been investigated, rarely have I seen a focus or a practice or a process that looks at repair. How do we actually get to the other side of that harm or that conflict? Making sure that the person who says they were harmed actually gets the repair that they need. You know, I've been talking about repair for a very long time. And it comes from, I think, my long-term commitment to justice, but also my experience that has been rooted in the idea of truth, reconciliation, justice, and reparations. And I mean that from a worldwide lens, which is rooted in this idea about how can we make it right? If a wrong was done, how do we make it right? And make it right is connected to this bigger picture idea of repair. I read this study recently that came out of the UK, and what it said is that even the people who lift up that they've experienced a harm, typically there is no remedy for the harm that has occurred or the conflict that they were in, and there is residual blowback for them for raising the issue in the first place. So there really is no benefit to try to navigate conflict, particularly when you're the one that has been harmed. So what do we do, right? This is a question that I often get asked with my clients. What do we do? You know, I think the first thing that I ask clients to think about is what are your current processes for navigating and managing conflict, grievances, and initiating repair? I've led so many restorative justice practices for clients And what I've learned is that it's such a new practice because our dominant culture is rooted in more of a punitive punishment approach to conflict resolution, meaning someone in here was a bad actor and they must be punished for the bad thing that they did. The second thing that comes up for me when I think about what do we do, I think it comes to this idea of peace. And I can say, I think maybe because of the what's happening in the world, but also because of a learning community that I was in about, gosh, almost three years ago that was called The Art of Waging Peace. And then The Art of Waging Peace, our teacher, Norma Wong, what she offered us was 
some of the most simplest words that have rocked me to my core. And every time I revisit these words, I find a new meaning and a new practice and a new approach. In the art of waging peace, what normal offered us were these, actually, actually it's five words. It's all under heaven intact. All under heaven intact. All meaning all people, all beings, the environment, literally everything that's under the sky, all under heaven. And then these two words in the end, I want to call attention to, intact. Intact meaning unbroken. So that we're whole, not in pieces, not broken, but we're whole. And I would even go so far as to say we're thriving. So what does that look like if we're waging peace? It looks like all of us, everybody is whole and we're thriving. So as you think about conflict navigation, conflict resolution, part of what I think we should be considering is how do we make sure that on the other side of that conflict, everyone involved is intact? They're not broken, that they're whole, and that they're thriving. One of the things that I've been examining is this idea even about peace. I think before this learning community, I would have said that peace is the absence of conflict. And if I think about the idea of an of a interconnected model, I don't think there's ever not conflict. Because even if there's not societal conflict, there could be conflict at the organizational level or a team level or interpersonally between two people or even inside of an individual. What I have come to know after hundreds of hours of coaching, thousands of hours training organizations and their leaders is that peace is not the absence of conflict. Instead, peace is an ongoing commitment, commitment meaning of time and of resources with processes and structures. Peace is the commitment to repair, a commitment to making it right. It's a commitment to harmony and to wanting others to be whole and intact. And so then you could use any number of conflict navigation, conflict resolution strategies that you'd like because the outcome would be peace, that people are whole, they're not broken, and that there's harmony on the other side. You know, in my trainings, and I do a lot of training around conflict and communication and emotional intelligence, conflict is something that we are shaped into when we're kids. And every culture and every country approaches conflict differently. And so in our multicultural, multilingual, multiracial, multi-ethnic workplaces, we're going to have lines of difference, different ways of seeing, learning, and being. And so there's an opportunity always for misunderstanding, tension, and thus conflict. So I always say that it's not about how do we avoid conflict, that I always offer the invitation that conflict will come and it can hopefully take the pressure off. So that it's not about how do we avoid conflict, but instead it's that when conflict presents itself, 
how do we lead and show up in a way that we hold everyone's humanity with honor and intact? And that at the end of this, whatever it looks like, at the end, people feel respected that their dignity is intact and that we have learned something so that this harm doesn't happen again. And we weave that into our structures, our policies, and our cultural codes of conduct. So here's a leadership development question for you as you ponder this episode. Are you leading in a way that fosters peace as I've described it? Are you leading in a way that cultivates opportunities for repair? I hope so. Creating unique recipes for how people can experience dignity and also thrive at work is a mission that involves and requires all of us. If you felt moved to take action through this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with the people that you know are gonna benefit from it. The more dignity and respect that we can build into the workplace, the more we can create the kinds of environments that foster and celebrate our humanity. In this episode, we spoke a little about my new membership, the DEI Dinner Party. The DEI Dinner Party is for people who are leading diversity, equity, inclusion, well-being, and culture change inside of their organizations. It's for people who are looking for support, strategies, tools, and resources to help them be successful as they work toward building workplaces where people can thrive. By joining this membership community, you'll be enabled to build the skills to lead, to sustain your DEI efforts, to save money on DEI trainings and initiatives by getting exactly what you need all in one place, and that conserves energy. And you're going to have access to a joy-centered community of peers that can assist you in your DEI goals. To find out more, go to recipefortransformation.com slash DEI dinner party. The link is also available in our show notes. Here's the thing. You can't sustain DEI in your organization if you aren't sustained. And the best way to do that is by building communities and places where you are supported and not alone. So I want you to join me and join the DEI Dinner Party and a community of leaders just like you to amplify your leadership and join forces to change the world. Mm